Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo!
Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of July 25th, 2014. I'm your host, Jose Otero, and I am joined this week once again by Per Schneider. Hello. And a very extra special guest. Special guest, tell the folks your name and I what like you do. I like that you uh, call me extra special. You are an extra special guest. <laughs> you called me when I was a kid. <laughs> All the time. Class. Um, Mike Micah, that's my name. I'm with Other Ocean, a software group right nearby here. And I'm working on a game called iDarb right now and a bunch of others, Sharknado and other okay. stuff. So I'm um, excited to be here. So you may know Mike from his work at Other Ocean, or you may know Mike because you saw him in the news last year uh, specifically for something very cool that he did, uh, sort of an inside project at mm-hmm. home for his daughter where he hacked uh, Donkey Kong and made the Pauline edition <laughs> where you can play as Pauline and reach the top of, uh, of Donkey Kong. So talk a little bit about that. That's, uh, I mean, you just pretty much covered it. It was a it was a situation where my daughter, she's three, and I wanted to introduce her to games because she'd watch me play and she wanted to play them. So I'm like, I got to go back to the classics because it's very easy for her to figure that stuff out. And she really liked Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah, Donkey Kong. Kong is super easy. It's super easy. Like, she could, <laughs> she's just breezing through it. Um, but she understood the concept, you know, yep. and like that. So um, I introduced her to the NES version, which was easier. And uh, she really got into it. And then when I showed her Super Mario Brothers 2, where you could play as uh, Princess Peach, I think, mm-hmm. or whatever, the Prince Toadstool, mm-hmm. um, she loved that. So she, she wanted to play that all the time, but it was harder to her than Donkey Kong. So she played that a bit, but then she wanted to go back to Donkey Kong. And when we did that, her first instinct was, I want to play as the girl, not Mario. And I'm like, ah, and I just explained it to her. But... Um, that night after I tried to get her to play some more and she was kind of disappointed. I could tell she was really disappointed because she really liked Donkey Kong. Yeah. So I'm like, I do this for a living. I know how to do this stuff and I make games so I should have some sort of way of doing this. And so I was asking some people in the office and they pointed me to some websites with some tools and everything and it was a Friday night I just started to dabble with it, and then it was like, you know, when you pull a string from a sweater, it's like, yep. okay, this and this and that, and it just led to, it was like a house of cards. I, when I looked up the clock next, I think it was like four in the morning, and I had it all done. But all the while, I kept posting to Facebook, like, my progress, and so some of my friends, I figured they would get a kick out of it. They were, like, watching it, and they started to post it everywhere else, like, um, yep. it, I think Reddit was one of the places that, like, Adam Boys, who's over yeah. at Sony now, I think he posted it to Reddit. And then the next day, I didn't think anything of it. I showed my daughter. She loved it, and we played it a bit. And then I had to go to this um, this charity event for my son's school. And on the way there, my wife's like, don't turn on your phone. Because every time we go to one of these things, all you do is look at your phone. So if you put that away. So, I'm like, uh. so I just put it in my pocket, pretend like I shut it off. All night, it kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. And I'm like, finally, I turn to my wife. I'm like, I better check. What if it's the babysitter or something? She's like, all right. So I go there, and I see all these messages from people going, like, your story's blowing up. And I'm like, my story? Like, what, what story is that really talking about? Past has finally caught up with you. Like, something that I didn't want out there. And um, I, I was looking at it, and they're pointing to Reddit and all this stuff. And I guess, like, that's when it kind of ignited. And then the next few days were insane because that's when – it, the story just took off. Mainstream yeah. media picked oh, it man, up, right? NPR, All Things Considered, ABC <laughs> News. You wrote a piece for Wired as well talking yeah. about why you did it. Uh, these were all, you know, very, very... My I, parents were really proud, awesome. finally. <laughs> finally, it's something that, that was, like, made them proud because uh, my mom was so excited. She called and she's like, a really nice woman from CNN would like to talk to you. She was really nice. I think you should talk to her. <laughs> so be like, wow. She's all like, and then Good Morning America called. Because <laughs> so, like, my dad has the same name. So mm-hmm. they were just trying to find me uh, and they would call my parents' house all the time. And they're just getting so excited that, like, oh, finally our son is doing something that yeah. we can talk about. And they're like, we understand this. Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, that came Donkey out Kong. yesterday. Yes. Yeah. It's my favorite game. That's so cool. I mean, I, I, I first of all, when, when I saw your updates, I loved that you were doing that because I was playing games like New Super Mario Brothers yeah. with my daughter. And she's like always picking like the, the toad guy right because yeah. she didn't want to be Mario and Luigi she likes the characters but she wanted something a little bit more fem- feminine and exactly. she'll, so you know she really latched onto that and you kept on asking yourself you know 
why don't why didn't they go the extra mile and add a female character, oh, yeah. especially to that game, right? And like I feel like. It, it, I feel like there's been a turning point because now all the modern games have playable female characters. You yeah. know, Smash Brothers obviously always had because it's an ensemble. Yeah. But, like, you see a lot more female playable characters from Nintendo now. It was amazing because I've done work with Nintendo over the years. And I remember running to a friend of mine who works there still. And I was like kind of, oh, is that okay that I did that? And he's like, are mm-hmm. you kidding? He's like, that was fantastic. Yeah. And he went on to say that, like, everybody in the company had looked at that and, like, took a hard look at it. Yeah. And, stuff. and then... Following that, you started to, like, not that this triggered it, but I mean, I, I think it really helped that they could come out with these characters and not, there's no, there's not going to be a repercussion for that. Yeah. And so the new Super Mario 3D World, is that what it's called? Yeah. I keep forgetting the names. Yeah. Um, it was great that she's back in the game and I can sit there and play that game with my daughter now. And it's yeah. so important to, I mean, when you hop onto Mario Kart and you, you yeah. just, like, the first game you play, they're male and female players in the room. Yep. Every time. I've never been in a room without female players or those pretending to be female players. But no, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to think that the me's are actually, when it's kind of like regular looking people, that they're, they're actually female players. So Nintendo has opened that market, obviously, with the Wii U before yep. and the DS as well. And so I love the acknowledgement that came afterwards, you know, yeah. after you did that too from Nintendo. You know, just us talking to them, that like they loved it. So, it was great. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it, was, really it, was, cool. it was a very special story. I, reading through some <laughs> of it now, I'm just like, oh, man, I forgot about this. And I forgot this happened. And, well, and then you saw some people sort of took inspiration from that. You yeah. saw someone hack Zelda. That was amazing. Pl- it playable. was really soon afterwards uh-huh. that we got inspired yeah. to hack Zelda. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that that's awesome. Yeah, and and yeah. more power to it. And I think that's kind of great now. You see what Nintendo's doing with it, Mario Maker. Is that the name of it? Like... Uh, or any, can, uh, yeah. maybe NES yeah. Remix is the one you're thinking of. I was going to ask you if, if you played that because they do a little bit of hacking there where they're just putting characters into other games. Maybe yeah. it's not so much, you know making playable female characters I think it's there. great that Nintendo's giving players the option to change their games and to go in there and like mm. make something that's more like, yep. relevant to themselves and everything now, which is awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It seems like they're finally having fun with their past, yeah. too, because, like, you know, full full fun disclosure, we used to work together. Yeah, like, exactly. What, like <laughs> ten, 10, no, more than 10 years ago, like in 98 or it was something, 98. right? In 98, I moved out here from Michigan, and you were one of the first people I met. <laughs> That's right. And so we were at uh, at Imagine Media, yep. you know, now called Future, um, Chris Anderson's shop. Yep. Um, uh, you were working on Next Generation Magazine, yep. which was an amazing magazine. Loved it uh, back then. And I was working on this thing that we were launching called IGN. <laughs> and um, and this was, this was crazy was, kids with the but, internet stuff. But yeah. we were just sitting next to each other. <laughs> Other, well, just basically, to set the, like, set the picture for folks at home, that's kind of how it was. It was like print-led. I, the internet was this oh, weird yeah. thing that no one knew what it was going to become of it, right? Oh, like, yeah. Print got all the exclusive. Print got all the stuff. And the internet was just like, oh, what do you guys want? The, I don't know what to give These bastards would get games to review. And we're like, what? The, why Why do you have these games? It's like, oh, we have three months lead time, so we need them early. And like, mm-hmm. but if they exist, why can't we have them? Yeah, it's, you like, know, right. it's, it's like, like being told to <laughs> keep it from the, the kids down the, the yeah. other side of the office. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. really? <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, at the at the time already, I mean, you already had a huge love for retro games yeah. and everything from the past. And I think one of the reasons why Next Gen brought you in was you knew how to code, right? You yep. knew how to make games and all that. And so have that perspective internally. Yeah, I think I, I knew that I had the job the minute I brought, I brought a videotape and I put it in and it showed all the games that I had worked on up until that point. And I remember mm. being in the room with Tom Russo and Chris yeah. Charla and those guys and I meeting um, Gary Witta yep. and then going around and meeting you guys and all stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I walked out, and my girlfriend at the time, now wife, um, she's like, well, how'd it go? And I'm like, 
nobody said a thing, but <laughs> I think I have the job. If I don't have this job, there's something wrong. Like because mm-hmm. it just seems like they're just talking like I need to start tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> no, people people really liked you, uh, obviously. And then you know after after you joined, um, it, it, we had a we had a good time with uh, with Mag and with IGN and all that. It was so amazing. There's yeah. a lot of innovation going on in just media at the time, and the kind of stories that were breaking, the stories that like Next Gen would do, you guys were doing. Yeah. It was uh, a lot of the stuff had never been done before, and it's just I look back and the talent that was there uh it's amazing like you know gary working on a star wars movie and you've got like that's people, right like everywhere you know i'm surprised all the time like jonathan uh, simpson bent who's over at uh twitch that's and, right you know, he's the coo over there greg veerman, CFO, yeah. is greg veerman over there now too or something like there's all these people just everywhere that i just like i think of that moment where there's this like flashpoint all this talent in one spot and then into the winds and yeah. doing crazy things everywhere it's awesome. yeah and you got casa running the games the app store for apple you've oh, got yeah. gary Witter writing the script for star chris wars idea at xbox <laughs> chris charla running idea at xbox so like a lot of people in the industry were, were right there yeah. um but basically kids, right? Like yeah, a lot yeah. of us, I was in my uh, in my 20s, early 20s. And, Same here. Uh, and it's like I look back at those old photos. Talk about Throwback Thursday. There's like a ton of photos that are, like, you don't really want to post because it's like, ooh, that would incriminate yeah. some people. But wow, we look like little babies back then. That's right. <laughs> got any yeah. incriminating a pair, you need to share those. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm saving that. Like, that's, oh, how yeah. do you think I got on this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. You also worked on a, a really cool uh, DSiWare game that I, I really enjoyed, a Dark Dark. Uh, I'm sorry. Dark Void Zero? Dark, Dark Void, Void Zero. Zero. Thank it's you. It's easy to say just Dark Void, but then Dark Void That's Zero. That's not it. Because, like, um, no offense to the bigger game. Like, that was mm-hmm. just, I think they had a lot of issues and stuff going on there. But we're, like, the this, this small game that started out as just kind of a crazy April Fool's idea. I yeah. was, um, it was at GDC. I was hanging out with Adam Boys, and we were kind of drunk. It's just some people get to be at GDC. And uh, we're laughing about the notion of they had posted a sprite that was, like, a devolved. Uh, version of like the Dark Void Zero guy or Dark Void guy. I'm doing it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and we're just laughing. At, like, what? How cool it would be to extend that joke and just pretend Capcom did this back then in the day, like at 1988 era, end of NES. Yeah. And because Super Nintendo was coming, they just vaulted it. And we're just laughing about it. And we're like, well, how much would it cost to do it? And we're just talking about that. And then that night, it just stuck in my head. And Adam was really serious about doing it at Capcom because it's where he was. That uh, that night, I still kind of like kind of buzzing around. I'm like, I'm getting on every Wikipedia page I can find. And I'm going to change every entry and add this everywhere I can because just in case we do it I want to have this backup so I did that and it didn't change for the longest time and we started negotiating the game and that was all sitting there by the time we announced this game was coming people were looking at Wikipedia going like oh of course yeah like it's oh Dark Void God. Zero that yeah. game and I started getting calls from people who were working on like emulation and stuff going like, I've never heard of this game you say it was on the Play Choice 10 we'd love to make sure our emulator runs it and all of a sudden I'm like uh, and so I'm playing it up on the phone <laughs> I feel evil because like, I'm lying I'm lying really bad and I'm playing this up on the phone to people going like well the ROMs are probably of Capcom and meanwhile we're just making it at the, like while I'm talking to him and so we, we had a marathon I think month and a half or maybe two months to make the game because there wasn't much time and uh, all the while I'm sitting there going like well how do we promote this game like we, we, our mission wasn't to promote Dark Void entirely it was just mm-hmm. like we're going to use this thing and that, if that helps great but we also wanted to stand on its own so I'm trying to figure out how to legitimize it and we had worked with um, Jimmy Fallon on a couple things some crazy ideas super awesome guy great mind think he always wanted to make video games more than comedy even mm-hmm. and um we hadn't talked for a little while, but I'm like, he loved NES so much. It'd be awesome to see if I could scheme something with him. Because if we're going to legitimize it, I need to have somebody who's very public yeah. say, oh, I remember when this happened kind of thing. So <laughs> I just started texting him, and the uh, the response was awesome because I'm like, I need to lie to the world and prove that this thing, <laughs> and try to this thing's real. And I need to like, have somebody like you, somebody who's famous who can like kind of hold the anchor to this. 
And my theory was, or my story was, it'd be awesome if in 1988 you won, before you're famous, you won a contest to go to Japan and be in this game as part of a Capcom <laughs> thing. And we got to pr- produce, like, marking materials and stuff. And he's like, I love it. And the next day, his dad scanned pictures of him from 1988. Oh, man. And sent him over, and we start Photoshopping him into materials. <laughs> and like, oh, God. And we showing so you rewrote history. To, I, didn't know how, I didn't know how deep the rabbit hole went. So it like went really I, deep. I know you, you know, usually you, you when somebody says, oh, I remember playing Dark Void Zero as a kid, you're like, I sincerely doubt that, right? Like, <laughs> yes. you could have even asked people, it's like, oh, what do you remember from them? And yeah. then put it in the game. Good idea. So this actually happened. I visited no. a partner, like, like oh, this, guy, this group that we're working with, I'll leave names off the table. And okay. we're in the room, and the guy was so excited. He's like, you know, my friends and I played that game so much when we were kids. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. It was, I, I actually said something just knee-jerk. I looked at him. I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like something got really uncomfortable in the room. I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. Like, uh, like no, it's like, and I'm sitting there like, do I admit this thing was fake? Yeah. Do I, what do I do to this oh, guy? Man. <laughs> but while you were maintaining this room, you made a really cool game. Like, I really yes. enjoyed Dark Boy 2. It was great. Yeah. There's uh, We had a couple of really talented folks more than a couple but uh, everybody came together because it's the kind of games we loved and to have an excuse to work on an NES style title was just like everybody was like chomping at the bit to do it but there's never a good opportunity to do it yeah. so um, once this happened we quickly started prototyping the guys jumped in and uh, I remember the first playable we got back on DSi from the, the team that was kind of holistically pulled together it was really really fun it blew my mind okay. yeah it's really um I, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. You have a piece of the Atari building in your car, which <laughs> you, is really you weird. Yeah, yeah, I helped you get something out of your car, and there's a piece of the Atari building in your yeah, car, maybe also, which is weird. Yeah, I should set this for people. Wait, but but I love I love the notion that, I mean, video game history is so recent, right? Yeah. Like, and The Atari dig was a great example where something happened fairly recently. These AT cartridges were buried in the desert, and... You know, a couple of years later, we're sitting here going, like, did that really happen? Does anybody remember if that really happened? Then nobody knows, right? And it's the same with this. You can go into Wikipedia and you can change history. You can. And if you you were even more evil, you could just leave it like that. Oh, you could. And you know what? Like... I have to give Jimmy Fallon a lot of credit on this, and a lot of people give him, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of hardcore gamers are like, oh, he's a, he thinks he's a gamer or whatever. But like the guy knows, he knows games inside and out. And not only that, he did a huge favor for us because we're doing this lie, and he started getting uncomfortable with it. And at one point, he mentioned like he could probably make a mention of it on his show, and then he started to say like, well, you know, I don't want to lie on TV, and I just kept pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. And sure enough, he went on television <laughs> and explained the contest and everything to everybody in the world, and said you know, this whole thing for us. And like, I feel really bad, and I owe him so much for that. But That's amazing. <laughs> so I wanted to I wanted to put out when Pear was talking about this earlier that uh, the, another way folks may know you is that. Uh, at least the first time I came across uh, your name was uh, in an episode of Life Well Wasted, a mm-hmm. podcast that uh, was talking about gamers and, and sort of the the games that they love and the things that they do. And you had one of the most impressive <laughs> history collections regarding video games like ever. Your your basement, if I understand yep. correctly, is completely devoted to your collection. Can we talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, like um, I ever since I was a, a kid, I always collected Every, like when I had a game, I was very careful about how I opened the box and everything like that. And I think my dad, even as a kid, even as a kid, I think mm-hmm. my dad instilled that in me because he regretted not holding on to some toys when he was a, a child. So when I would get like Star Wars figures, my dad would be like, "Open it like this and do this." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so like it got ingrained in me. But like with video games, I remember um, I really liked when I really liked these games, I would hold on to them, and I was really into games that were rare, hard to find, even at the time. Because I remember going to like Toys R Us, yeah. and I would I would like see a game that nobody else wanted. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's all the tags there, and I'd be like, oh, maybe that's that's one I want because I, I get used to 
going after things nobody else had just to experience it and see if that was worth everybody else knowing about or whatever. So anyways, I got really into that, and I would hold on to every one of these games. And ultimately what would happen is uh, I got into college, and I had way too much stuff at my parents' house, and we had it all boxed up. And I, I remember like confronting the task of, like, should I get rid of some of this stuff or not? And so I convinced my parents, who still have everything at their house right now, to hold on to it. They have a whole garage full of this stuff. And then when I moved out here... I was like this whole thing of like I can't do that again. I can't just collect all that stuff. And the problem was I come out here and this is like the the like the the origin of a lot of these games where they're created and published and everything else. I started running in the magazine. I started running into people who worked on these old things. They're like, you know what? You seem really into this stuff. I've got the old eprom. Uh-huh. I've got the old this whole thing. Yeah. And so it got to the point where people would drive up to my house and just like almost unannounced and be like, I got a trunk full of stuff. And I know you probably want it. And oh, I did. Man. And so this stuff started coming in. So we moved into the house. There was this basement room, and um, the previous owner called it the Gimp Room because it was like Pulp Fiction. You had to go down through a hole in the a floor. Hatch. Yeah, this hatch. <laughs> and it had a ladder from the master bedroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we moved into the house my wife's like all your stuff goes down there and i'm like all right so I, i'm a tetris master i've managed to get everything into this room like every cranny has something like, it's the only way to do it and uh i've amassed a huge collection out here so i've got to still collect what's at my parents and then put stuff together but i was really into the rare things like um i have the fax exchanges that i think scott miller and john romero it, when they were faking each like when scott was faking to be like a fan yeah. just to get their attention uh-huh. i have all those fax exchanges in a little oh folder, my god i've got wow. like um, I've got a prototype Game Boy Color board. I've got all this weird stuff. And, uh, That's really 3DO cool. The 3DO M2 and all these yeah. crazy artifacts wow. that came my way just because I, I was out here and I had an interest in it and people knew I wanted to hold on to it. And these are people who are like, how do I clean up the house? And yeah, the yeah, house. yeah. So yeah. I was like a relief for them. And meanwhile, my wife's grief is like all this stuff. That's amazing. That's did so you, cool. <clears throat> did you ever turn anything away? Did you ever I, I have. Uh, now yeah. that I'm starting – now there's museums – Mm-hmm. I actually, instead of turning things away, I divert. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the Strong Museum, they have a great collection. They That's take right. on certain kinds of things. The Video Game History Museum takes on certain kinds of things. And um, even like the Smithsonian. I've contributed a lot to the Smithsonian right now um, because now these things exist. When I started doing this, they didn't. And that was kind of my uh, reasoning behind it. I'm like, you know, these things need to be saved. They belong in a museum. The Indiana Jones kind It of belongs thing. in a museum. But I, it killed me <laughs> to see stuff getting thrown away. I remember like people destroying games and stuff, just like the Atari dig now. Like Atari had to destroy all that stuff and mm-hmm. now it's like part of history. Yeah. So now that there's actual facilities and like the maid which is local here uh it's great we can divert all that stuff and so, so i do it a lot more now <laughs> so, <laughs> have you, so have you explained to people the uh the where the atari piece came from or how you happened to, across this the atari, piece of atari that's sitting in your car so uh so i'm in that atari dig documentary and they had come out to do some b-roll shooting and the people who were out doing the b-roll were supposed to go and get some extra footage outside of the atari building and so what ended up happening um was they, they said they went out there that morning and they couldn't find the building. Okay. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, which building are you talking about? And they were explaining where they are going to. And I'm, sure enough, that was the building that Howard Scott Warshaw developed ET in. And so um, they explained that the address now is just a pile of rubble. And so that was the first time I'd ever heard, and I don't think anybody else knew that the, it got demolished. Okay. So the California oh, Extreme Show was going on just down the street, and I was going to go that weekend. So I'm like, we're going to go to Atari <laughs> and grab a piece of it. So... Um, we creatively found some pieces. It was fenced off, and uh, now I've got those in my trunk. Which <laughs> that's off. amazing. Yeah, I'm like, what is that? I think we've got to switch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. we got to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll share some really cool pieces from Mike's collection, and maybe some of our own. Okay. 
And welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, Jose Otero here with Per Schneider and special guest Mike Micah. And so we asked Mike to come on the show this week because Mike has an incredible collection of video games. Uh, and on top of that, he's a great dude. And so we asked, hey, why don't you bring three really cool things from the collection? You know, this, this <laughs> That you can carry. <laughs> that, you can, that was a thing, yeah. Yeah, wait, so there were things you couldn't carry, I can yeah, imagine. Yeah, there's probably a few of those. <laughs> do you have any giant Game Boy or anything? Like the, you couldn't bring the Donkey the Kong display I mean, ones or anything? I do have anything? one of the Game Boy Color displays. The huge, Because uh, right? I remember Toys R Us near our office was trying to ditch all that stuff, and I, I just grabbed it out of the dumpster. <laughs> so I've got oh, like, yeah. one of those. Got it, got it. And and when you say the display, you're talking about the big plastic molded This was a big Game like, Boy. purple Game Boy <laughs> Color thing that was supposed to be like, you know, we dominate. And it's just like nobody wanted it. Even That's Toys awesome. Us. Yeah, they, they had a they have a DSI at Nintendo of America down uh, at their offices in Redwood, and it's huge. And I just keep thinking, man, I hope they never get rid of that. Even though yeah. I wouldn't take it, but, still but it'll happen, right? Yeah. Like this happens all the time yeah. when sometimes when studios close or when mm-hmm. you know companies move. You're like, oh, we're not going to move that stuff, yeah. and boom, something big is gone. Yep, sure. Every, yeah. yeah. That just happened recently. IDOS was moving offices, and Frank Cifaldi, who works with us, got the call of, like, we don't know what we want to do with all this stuff. And uh, Frank and I are heavy into the uh, museum stuff. So we're like, we need to just grab it all. And now our office is, like, floor-to-ceiling of IDOS <laughs> stuff, like statues and everything. You've got all the Tomb Raiders. Yeah, and, it's like yeah. people visit us and are like, you guys doing a lot of work for IDOS? Uh-huh. No, not really. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what do you got, man? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, let's yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's each take a turn because we each brought something. So I guess I'll go first. All right, he'll go first. My, my first one is a cheat. Uh, <laughs> but it is one of my favorite. So these are sort of Nintendo treasures. Treasure to us, maybe not worth a lot of money. But uh, I went through a lot of trouble of trying to get this game. Oh, nice. So this is a Japanese version of uh, Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse, which in Japan is called Akuma Jo Densetsu. And uh, this came out in Japan in 1989. Um, and one of the reasons I'm so fond of it, on top of loving Castlevania so much, was the fact that uh, the music was absolutely yeah. amazing. They had a customized chip built into it called oh, yeah, VRC6, right. I believe. Um, and it it just had this edge to sound that I just did not hear from any other NES cartridge, oh, especially yeah. the first time I heard it. Isn't that like? Do you already familiar with the game Lagrange Point that Konami? I don't know that was one. Like too. Was that another? VRC I think they had a spe- the same. Okay, cool, cool. Play. That's one that um, they haven't released here stateside or even emulated, which would be awesome to see. Yeah, and, and we've talked about uh, Castlevania and you know how much I kind of adore the series, and especially that game on this podcast. We've even had comparisons of the music. So if you know if you're curious what I'm talking about and you haven't heard those, please go back and check them out. But that's the first thing I brought in. It is. Uh, a piece of Nintendo history to me. It was a pain in the butt to find, especially yeah. in a box with uh, with you know manuals and all the inserts inside. Like it was, you know, in Japan is hardcore, man. Like they really as are. a collector, like I know you must appreciate <laughs> what Japan does when it comes to collecting old school. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, even when you go in the shops, it's hard to like. This is in great shape. You, it's really difficult to find a box in this kind of shape, especially mm-hmm. in the used shops. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Was this used or new when you got uh, it? No, it was used when yeah. I got it. Yeah, no, new. I, I couldn't afford. To. No, no, <laughs> no. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. For sure. Cool. So that that's the first thing I'm bringing in. So, Pear, I Very turn nice. it to you. What, so what did you bring? Yeah. You know, since uh, let me see, since Mike is here, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a mic friendly thing. I have some backups just in case we had the same things. Yeah, I know. Same here. So I didn't bring anything like signed or anything, but like more things from from oh. history. So, Mike, this is your life. <laughs> um, so this is a uh, this is a June '98 copy of Next Generation that never was sold in stores. Yep. So it's a oh. This is awesome. Neither too, was by the way. insert. And so, <laughs> this edition, the regular edition, had like a Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time yeah. cover because, um, you know, that was the, the big feature. Um, but this was the special Atlanta E3 edition. Yep. Is that right? That is correct. And uh, we had 5,000 of those, I think, made specifically mm-hmm. for the show. 
And it, it comes from actually a mishap uh, because people misunderstood Howard Lincoln, a quote from Howard Lincoln saying that the game was to be on a gold cartridge <laughs> because it was Matt Cass Messina, I think, who asked him this question at Nintendo um, with other reporters in the room. Will the game be on a gold cartridge? And Howard Lincoln mistook the question as, will it go gold? Yeah. And he's like, well, naturally, it's going to be like, it's going to go gold. <laughs> well, we were like, yeah, yeah, breaking news, boom, and gold it was cartridge. Everywhere, and it forced Nintendo to actually ship it on a golden cartridge yeah. Yeah. Uh, and change, change it up. So to perpetuate the myth, because mm-hmm. we heard that that wasn't really what they intended, Next Gen decided they're going to do the gold cartridge mm-hmm. on the cover just to really make and, sure. And the gold just to make sure is, they don't uh, forget. It's yeah. in the style of like the original Legend of Zelda and Zelda II, uh, The Adventure of Link. So it's sort of that gold style versus the one that came out. But it's still, it's very cool to hear that you guys forced this into existence. And it's, it's funny too because it says Zelda 64. This is like a cobbled together logo that you guys made in Next yep, Generation with the old art, you know, the uh, the artwork that they released at the time. A K to a ESRB rating, yep. which doesn't exist anymore. Not Kids anymore. to ad- uh, adults, yeah. And to support your item here, because I'm just <laughs> going to back you up with this a little bit, we were, at Next Gen, we were trying so hard to get the cover story for Zelda. And we went so far as to make the Nintendo, a Game Boy, a Game Boy cartridge that we sent to them with a Game Boy that had a proposal on here for us to do the Zelda story. And, and get that. So, so programmed, uh, we programmed what? an actual game. It's actually not a game. It's like a slideshow with music mm-hmm, and all this sure. stuff. And we sent that to Nintendo. We sent like four of them out to different people at Nintendo to woo them over to let us do did, stuff like Did that. they respond to it? Did, did you hear they anything said, back? Thank you. And they did the typical Nintendo thing. Like, thank ah, you. We thank you. Because they even sent the things back. when like, no. oh, That was a great idea. Uh, one, I think three of the four came back or something like oh that. Oh, my God. And, wow. Uh, and this is an actual Nintendo Game Boy cartridge I'm holding in my hand right That's now. That's probably they're like, yeah, oh, he tampered with it. Label. We cannot possibly hold this. <laughs> yeah, there was like that awkward thing where it's like, oh, they're pressed, so we can't complain about this, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. But they were, they were impressed. And I think that really helped us get the story we wanted. So, so, so what, what game was lost in the making of this? Do you remember? Like, oh, was, I don't remember. Was another game substituted that was originally was on this what cartridge? It was ever on our desks at the time. Because Motocross like, Maniacs, maybe. Yeah, like probably probably, probably like every single one of them was probably. <laughs> I like that you brought this because we didn't sync up on this at all. At all so it's it amazing that you did that because like, here you can see the logo. And yeah. It was all in the same time that yep. we're trying to get all this stuff. And then the, I mean, I remember back then, since, you know, since this is a long time ago, I think we can talk a little bit yeah. about how the sausage was made too. You guys had a hard time getting any assets from Nintendo yes. in the format that it was printable or at all. Like, they would send something that they had already distributed a year ago, exactly. right? And they would, they would try to tell us, oh, that's all we're going to get. And we, have, and we would we had to, as next generation, we pride, prided ourselves on getting exclusive screens mm-hmm. and all stuff. So it was really challenging. So we even went so far as to get um, one of the McFarlane action figure sculptors sculpted a Zelda or um, uh, a Link statue for us. That uh, we could use the 3D scan. We got the guys who were doing the Godzilla movie effects to 3D scan it, so we can show Nintendo that we could make an incredible cover with 3D assets and all this money spent on this thing. And they're just kind of like, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was just very. They didn't operate like that, right? No. And they didn't do screen captures properly either. I mean, no. they were just not ready for the press in a, in a lot of ways. Well, so we had to. Str- we struggled to try to get better screenshots and everything ourselves yeah. to promote their products. Yeah. yeah. But this, I, I looked, you know, before this I just looked through this mag and it, it, it's just fantastic I mean it was just so good all the stuff that's in here the interviews you know about oh, yeah. Lucas Arts coming into its own the Zelda feature you got a review of 1080 snowboarding giving oh, it a man. five stars and then of course my favorite insert this one was uh, since this was the E3 edition they had yep. like this Imagine Media the Imagine Games Network flyer Imagine Online. Radio 
Yeah. There was Imagine Radio. You want to talk to me about that? What was <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, that was that was a side project where it was audio programming um, oh, online like as well. But, but cool. yeah, so the, what I'll you're seeing work. here is actually you see <laughs> The Den, which was yeah. a website about entertainment. So movies, television, comics, sci-fi. And you have Imagine Games Network, which is, of course, IGN. is what IGN became. We merged with a den. That's what IGN is today. Yeah. And so those two sites actually formed IGN. Yep. So it was really cool like to find crime. that in there. And uh, one special note on Next Generation, because it looks gorgeous and everything, uh, Mike Wilmoth, who just recently passed away, was the yes. uh, design, graphic designer and layout artist on all these magazines. He did a wonderful job, made everything we did look great, especially in the 11th hour, and it's, it's just kind of sad. And so, yeah, no, it is. And it, it's kind of, it's, there isn't a gaming mag like this. I mean, Edge and Next Gen obviously share the same yeah. roots, and, and, mm-hmm. and Edge survives. Um, it's a little easier in the yep. UK to run a, a magazine business with a, with a smaller run. And so Edge is still around and does some of that. But, yeah. you know, like that high-quality print product yeah. with really deep researched Just interviews. Cover stock, too, and everything. Yeah. And then I will say, you know, like we did not get the same access the magazines did back then. So yeah. it was really special, too, when it came out. It was out. a different like, time. Yeah, <laughs> def- different time. Very, very cool. Okay, Excellent. so round one is in the books. Round, round one. All right, so... Uh, this one is made by Nintendo, and I got this not so long ago, and it's not the version that I want, but unfortunately, it's what I had to take. Uh, so it is a copy of Earthbound for the Super Ooh, Nintendo. Nice. So I made it a mission after uh, I played Earthbound to buy a copy of every Earth, uh, every version I can find in English and Japanese. So obviously for Earthbound for Super Nintendo, that's an easy one, right? It's only one yeah. version. But uh, I went out of my way and bought uh, all the Mother games also in Japanese as well. Yeah. So Mother 3, uh, Mother 1 Plus 2, which was a re-release of 1 and 2 right when, around when 3 came out. Um, the original Famicom cartridge as well. Uh, I had to settle for an Earthbound without a box, without a manual. <laughs> it does have, uh, I do have the strategy guide for it and a funny side <laughs> story. Last year um, at PAX Prime, I met Marcus Limblom, yes. who was the uh, localization editor on that game. Um, and I, you know, we had talked before that. Like, he was actually on a podcast that I had at One Up, you know, a year before that. And, uh, you know, we had coffee, and I was like, hey, man, can you sign my strategy guide? And, mm-hmm. and he did, um, and, it, and it was really cool, and he's, uh, he's, he's an awesome dude. And if you don't know Earthbound, uh, a year, actually, a year ago to this episode, uh, we recorded a very special Earthbound episode mm-hmm. uh, of Nintendo Voice Chat where we talked about what was so special about that game and why it was so cool and how it's a really touching story about, like, four kids, you know, who stumble on an adventure. And it's kind of dope. And the franchise lives on, obviously, like, now in Smash Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, I have an, if you're done, I have an item that kind of ties in. Oh, to that's that, it. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, I'm All so right. jealous of the side because <laughs> so, I knew he was oh, bringing it. So the little known thing about Nintendo is that, uh, at least in the West, is that they have tremendous sense of style when it comes to special editions in Japan. They do. So, yeah. you know, whether it's releasing special mini cartridges from the Super Famicom disc days or, yeah. you know, their packaging is really awesome. It is like, you know, yeah. what you'd expect from an Apple over exactly. here, right? And so this is actually the Mother 3 this is Mother 2, right? Earthbound yeah, is Mother yeah, 2. The Mother 3 special edition of the Game Boy Micro. And, uh, you know, because this package inside is really tricky, um, I, I took, the, uh, I took the, the Game Boy out already. So here's yeah. the Game Boy Micro, and it comes in this special Game Boy Micro pack. And it's, it also comes with a Franklin oh, badge. It's I, so it has a Franklin badge. So it looks really awesome. They did this distressed design, you know, yeah. in the faceplate with uh, the buttons like that. And, you know, this was a great system. Uh, it was just priced way too high. It came at the wrong time, and therefore it never took off. But uh, this was great. Never came to the West, of course. Yeah, neither uh, did Mother 3, just because it's so late in the Game Boy Advance's life cycle. Yeah, at least that's the reason all of us have hung on to. And the reason why this, this is so special to me personally is that 
I saw Mother 3 when it was a 60-40D game. That's right. You were there. And so, you oh, know, man. they actually showed this at, at Space World um, where you got to see scenes from Mother 3 in a demo and Shigesato Itoi, who was the lead on the game, yeah. was working on was it. there? And, uh, yeah, he was there. And you, you were like, you were getting really excited to see Earthbound, you know, taking steps into the third, like the 3D realm. It was polygonal and everything. Of course, it never came out. It ran into development hell. And, you know, there's some strained relations with Itoi with Nintendo too. There was another game that he worked on that didn't work out that well. And so in the end, you know, they brought in Brownie Brown and some other folks, and Itoi obviously was the scriptwriter, and created this 2D version of, of Earthbound 2, of Mother 3, um, which is a really good game. But it's yeah. funny, like, when you see the graphics side by side, like, you see, like, the saloon uh, scene from the 64DD and then the, the 2D version. It's mm-hmm. like, it is that game. <laughs> it you is know? the same game. And yeah. it's just, you kind of see what it could have been. I will say this one will live on and the the 3D one probably wouldn't have been as good mm-hmm. you know That's like it's just true. yeah there's so it's so timeless in yeah. this form and that was at that awkward time when people who were developing these incredible 2D experiences like mother 2 and all yeah. stuff were getting their feet wet so they were experimenting as they were going into 3D and like more often than not that like it didn't prove out very well in those yeah. days and so yeah. there's a good chance that there's a reason that had the yeah, go its own way, and and this ha- this happened, and it's probably better for it. Yeah, yeah no, people for sure. today, like I, I run into people today who've never played the games. They've downloaded it on Virtual Console, the Earthbound game, mm-hmm. and f- fallen in love with the game. Like as dated as the controls and everything kind of are, yeah, it, it's still timeless. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's, it, it holds up. And the story is yeah. really great. The writing's really strong, and uh, yeah, and you can download Earthbound today. That was such a special thing for me last Comic Con because I had to play Earthbound when you couldn't do that, and yeah. that was I just kind of put my head down because I was like, do I really have to do it this way? And it was really unfortunate. <laughs> Um, but now that it's out on Virtual Console, it's yeah. a really cool thing. Look how cool this is. So, like, is they have just mon- monochrome packaging like that and yeah, this package well is like radio. yeah so if you're if you're obviously if you're listening you can always google it the you know mother 3 game boy micro i actually wrote a blog post about it like 10 years ago whatever but like you see the packaging is like gray kind of cardboard with red inside and it's like they really took care to make this something that is a collectible yeah. and really special you know so mm-hmm. yeah i love this thing so cool. on that note I, I didn't this is i actually wasn't going to show this one but because the packaging thing is such a good theme here i yeah. wanted to show what they used to do for the famicom minis but oh. That's it, yeah. That's Because uh, like this is the same thing. Like they 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 celebrated the original packaging, so making a smaller version of it. It's signed by Miyamoto, which is awesome. Very nice. Um, but also they would put it in this kind of like showcase box to show off the the game. Like like this. This is just like you open this up and everything about it is just screaming like criterion masterwork yeah that's it thing yeah. Oh, yeah and the same here they did the same with these they had a whole series of these which were fantastic and I, these, these aren't necessarily rare but the u.s versions just weren't as cool like the package just wasn't as cool as yeah this. they didn't they didn't quite go as retro as it whereas these were specifically and and in this case it was the famicom disc system games yeah. that they really went the extra mile to show yeah, it sort of in the, that light to show the difference yeah, the original. Like, here's the disc yeah. version of it right there and, um, like, again, these are, like, we're talking about rarities and stuff. These aren't very rare. You can find these pretty cheap mm-hmm. right now yeah. in great condition. Um, but that packaging, it's its just something, if you're going to show off anything in your house or whatever, it's like the packaging on this stuff is fantastic. So even the yep. detail, so that cartridge is also the same color as the disc. It is yellow. Yes. And I thought that was also a really nice touch because once you open it up, you're like, oh, okay, it's, well, it's all the one. And you're like, oh, wait, it's yellow, just like the disc would have been. Oh, my exactly. God, that's so cool. It's like they, it's, they're full, fully aware of their history and everything that made it such a special yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, it, you know, Japan, I think, did have a special relationship with the early days of gaming, you know, come on, because this was Japan bringing back video games too, right? Like it, it was so special, but I think that exists in the West too. Like, 
everybody remembered that gold cartridge, yes. right? And so that is, I'm glad they did that with Ocarina yep. of Time, but they didn't need us to tell them to do that. Like no, that should no. be ingrained at a company like that, that exactly. you celebrate those special moments in time. You know? And even more, like eventually they took away the car- the gold off the cartridge for Ocarina of Time. You're like, mm-hmm. why did you just keep doing it? Well, it's weird too, because in Japan, Zelda is not really all about the gold. It's actually green yeah. over there. Yeah, they don't <laughs> yeah. do gold cartridges. It's not really as, as, as uh, important. We like our bling piece. over here. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, <laughs> all right, so my last item is a, is also a signed item, uh, and it is not a rare item really, but it is rare wow. in that it's signed. Yep. Uh, so this is marvelous. Oh, uh, wow. Another mm-hmm. Treasure Island, which uh, if you don't know, this was our, mm-hmm. AG, a little guy named Eiji Numa. This was his first directed game at Nintendo. Um, who is that? You may ask. He is currently the producer on the Zelda series. So uh, when he was, uh, let's see, this game originally came out in 1996 in Japan only. Uh, the story revolves around three kids uh, on a camping, I think some kind of like camping adventure, and then they, you know, end up on a quest for like great treasure or something. Some pirates show up, so, uh, some kind of deal. But uh, so last year at New York Comic Con, I had a chance to interview Anuma, and I got really weird about asking anyone to sign things. I actually haven't asked someone to sign something since this, uh, just because it, it always feels weird when you're pressed because I feel like, oh, am yeah. I overstepping, you know, my access? Like, Joe Average can't do this. Why should I take advantage of this? So that was my reasoning. So, but I still decided, okay, if I'm going to get something signed, this is the, the second and the last time. Notice I said second. It means something was signed before that. Um, and I asked him, and he was like, oh, my God, where did you get that? Like, he was so surprised on him himself. He just looked at, he goes, you know, I didn't come out here. And I was like, no, I know, but it's, it's really cool, and I would love if you signed it. But the f- weird part was, if you look at it, the signature is in a gold pen that you can barely see. Oh, see, I was <laughs> wondering, where is it? Sharpie. Yeah, I was actually, I'm like, okay, maybe it's on a Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. down here in the corner, which you will not be able to see. It was a gold Sharpie on me. I didn't have a black (laughs) Sharpie. And I was like, classic mistake. You went out of your way and asked Anuma to sign something, and then you brought a pen that no one can see it in. But you have to hold it in the right light. It's like a lenticular. It's like you angle it, and you're like, oh, there's the name. That makes Mm -hmm. it so special, though. Yeah, Yeah, it does. So he'll probably never forget me or that gold pen or how hard it was to sign it. I'm sure he's thinking about you right now. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty awesome, man. So that's my last uh, piece. And also, that game, as I said earlier, has not come out in the West. Uh, It's a really good game. It's very sort of point-and-click adventure style. Um, it, it has been like fan translated, so you can find some material on it on That's the internet. That's cool. I need some more room. All right. Oh, oh yeah. I, have, oh, I know what you're going to do. I know what you're pulling. <sighs> yes. Okay. He's got his name on it, so too. Got that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So well, it's got uh, for those at home who are listening, Pear just put an N64 with a very special attachment attached underneath it called the 64DD. That's right. Pear yeah. is one of the few owners that I know who has a 64DD. Oh, Mike, um, have you ever gotten I'm one? Sure. You know, actually, I have, I have not. Uh, okay. It's one of those things where I, I've kind of wanted one, but every time I've run into it, it's been way too expensive. Smash and grab, dude. Oh, I'll man, take the Mother 3. You take the. You know what? Have my back. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll do this. I've got bricks in the car from Atari building. So, <laughs> so there, you know, there, there, are, there are definitely that can run as high as a grand now, yeah. right? Without the yeah. N64 yeah. on top, you need a Japanese N64. You need to mod it so it can actually fit. And this was the mysterious slot on the bottom of the N64, yeah. right? Like it, tantalizing was there. The memory card was tantalizingly there the entire time. And that was actually designed for the future 64DD usage. It needed the extra RAM. And of course, Turok forced yeah. Nintendo's hands to actually put it out without it. Um, but yeah, so it can it, it, you can find one for a little cheaper. There are two versions out. Uh, the most of them um, there was a retail version that was released into a limited run because they couldn't sell them right like it was a total dud in Japan you had to actually pre-order it it was a, it was a, a mail order campaign 
You had to pay by credit card in Japan. And so they sold 15,000 only. That was the whole run. That was it. Yeah. So there are a couple more out there because they had then that retail box afterwards, which I didn't get. This was the RantNet edition. And so when you bought it, you also had to commit to buy the software, yeah. which arrived every couple of months. So this came out in 1999. You got it with like uh, Mario Artist. So you uh, kickstarted Polygon That's yeah. basically what, what it was. So it was like a <laughs> subscription for this thing. And their commitment was, we'll have this RantNet, Rant with an R, um, service um, that it's basically kind of like a like a internet light. You can read like horse racing magazines <laughs> on your N64 and that kind of stuff. You could also uh, share stuff and connect uh, in some of the games. Uh, but then you also got this. So Talent uh, Studio, this one, uh, Mario Artist Talent Studio was one of three games oh in the Mario God. Artist series that Hang came on, out. Please describe the artwork that's on the back of this the, box for people. <laughs> the please. artwork, you can't see that, but it's uh, Mario with a 70s fro um, <laughs> singing with a mic. And so the whole point of this and uh, we we talked a little bit about this on NVC before. It's like this was basically what Tomodachi Collection would yeah. become, right? And, and so to an extent too. Yeah. So if you can't see what I'm holding, this is actually the capture cartridge, and this is one of many uh, uh, different cartridges that came with the 6040D subscription. The other one was the modem, mm -hmm. and so the modem basically you plugged in as a cartridge on the top. And the capture cartridge was a separate one. It had the old kind of RCA yeah. inputs. You could plug in a camera or you could plug in a VCR and then you could capture stills and you could use those stills at textures for, for things that you would use in this thing. I remember seeing an early version of Perfect Dark where you could capture stills and then map them to characters in Perfect Dark. That's right. Yeah, yeah and like then faces. they got spooked. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and actually my face was captured that way and actually made it into the final game. So I'm one of the bad guys in it. Oh, that's awesome. They left that Just in. Just like real life. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kidding. they were Russians, though, not Germans. But, um, uh, but yeah, they, they got spooked, right? Because yeah. then the press started, said, oh, you will be able to shoot your friend. It's like, oh, yeah, they got really worried about that. will end up on that? And yeah. Because like, there's mm -hmm. the old story, like that early arcade game that would eventually become Journey the arcade game where yeah. they put a camera in an arcade and they were, you could put your face and characters in the game and also in the high score and of course there was never a face but there was always something else mm -hmm. that would show up in public so yeah. yeah it's just always had a problem yeah <laughs> I was just uh I was just playing. Uh, my my son uh, got an Xbox One with his own money, and he uh, downloaded immediately Project Spark because it's free. Oh yeah. The first video stream that came up was a jumping penis. Oh, yeah, man. it's like it happens, right? Like, no, it's funny. Like that means nobody's looking at okay. it right yeah. now on the Xbox One. <laughs> but um, but it's that's what people did. That's what we did with yeah. Talent Studio Two. Immediately, you create created butt face characters. Exactly. With this thing, you could do like these. Uh, you can make your own movies and like move uh, have like uh, polygonal characters. Give them different like um, items uh, used like pre-made uh, selections you could import images with the Game Boy camera too yep. yeah, yeah so that's on the side of this thing it shipped with that crazy yellow microphone that was oh, yeah. also in Hey You Pikachu yep. remember that one yeah um, and so it, it was just a really cool thing and, and actually for a family to play with it was really fun it was ridiculous to make these movies of you know your your brother or your dad like jumping oh, around yeah. doing a fashion show um, yeah. but oh. it was so daunting like just look at the setup you have to build this giant Big Mac of a video game system in order to get going hey Sega did it a couple times I don't know if yeah. you've heard the Genesis Tower of Power is real and it, the it toilet add-on for the yeah. uh, Jaguar, Jaguar and everything yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. the flush button so yeah. the, the logo to Rand Dead I'd never seen it before to 
course. Eyeball, so it's just two yeah, eyeballs right? and like a nose, and it's almost like Mario's eyes, I guess, because they're it kind looks of very blue. similar to Miyamoto's signature, which he does right yeah. here. Yeah, actually, no, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, it's so it's funny, right? Eyeball. Like, so they were playing around with this kind of internet connectivity very early on. If you think yeah. about that, we're talking about you know a generation where no other games were really going online, right? Like right. you had some some simple stuff, but they had aspirations to create a network where gamers could share information and maybe yep. play against each other. It's really the, easy to pick on Nintendo because of yeah. where they are right now, but like they did all this stuff. First. The mistake they made was they created a closed system, right? Yeah. Like the internet yeah. then ran. Well, and they made it Japan only too, and they had tried the experiments with that stuff even as early as Super Nintendo, right? With uh, the Super Famicom yeah. had a uh, Satellaview yep. and, and ideas like that. That used the satellite system yeah. for broadcasting, yeah. right? And you can, it goes all the way back to even the oldest of game systems. They would always have like either through cable or over the air and all that sort of yeah. thing. But yeah, what that activity was always yeah. a big deal for them. I think what yeah. points, what, uh, the, yeah, there was the exactly like they wanted to link up every device with every device in their lineup too, right? Like yeah. they had these um, these uh, demos that they showed where you connected the Game Boy and yeah. everything. Yeah, but, I was going to say that. Yeah, the like, GameCube to Game Boy stuff. I'm just still yeah. like, well, okay. DT <laughs> yeah. and all those things. But the interesting thing about this is I think it just shows you Nintendo R&D. Yep. And the stuff that never came out, you know, like you can imagine how many different experiments led to this, oh, right? Yeah. This was them basically saying, oh, yeah, we know we need more storage space, both for reading and writing, but we're not going to do CDs because <laughs> we don't want to pay anybody for their format. Therefore, we create this giant freaking disk system, yep, right, yeah. with cartridges and all that. And it's like... There, there must be just hundreds of ideas that never came out. It would know? be amazing if they had like a vault that you could just like, yeah. someday walk through and just see all the stuff. So, because like Miyamoto's always alluded to, like I've got this thing on my desk, and oh, it's, always like, right, yeah. hundreds of Luigi's running around and doing whatever mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. So it's like you yeah. want to know what those turned into, Back or in, what Mario One Twenty Eight turned into, yeah. or what like different things that they've shown the press over time turned into. He's gotten yeah. more careful, but back then when we asked inter- interview questions, it'd be like Mario Sixty Four had come out, and we're like. Uh, have you ever thought about doing a co-op game or two-player like you did with Mario and Luigi? He's like, ah, I have Mario and Luigi already running in 3D on my desk. He used to always say, on my desk, right? He used to say all that stuff on my desk. And we're like, okay, can you get it off your desk? (laughs) Where is your desk? (laughs) We would like your desk, please. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. uh, One would hope that one day Nintendo does kind of open open its doors a little yeah. more and just show people like cause the, the opportunity for a museum just to see what those experiments were and where they ended up like imagine what's in there yeah. it was like Star Fox 2 the Super FX chip game that yeah. I remember seeing at the show and then going to Nintendo US and seeing the mocked up boxes in their faux store mm-hmm. and thinking like oh I can't wait for that I can't wait for that and it just never came out and it was pretty much done yeah. and I was saying like they probably had so many games that went all the way up to the point of completion and just didn't ship it Yeah. yeah. and yeah. what are those games and so many we haven't heard of I'm sure yeah for look sure. at a, a, another game example that was Earthbound Zero where yeah. they you know Earthbound Zero was the uh, NES version the Famicom version of Mother was translated uh, but never released yep. and it just sat in NOA for years until somehow made its way out then it ended up on an auction I think then someone bought it and was like wait a minute this is legit translation <laughs> this was not this was not fan translated yeah. this was actually Nintendo translated this yeah. Like, what <laughs> yeah so when we got this thing by the way the first thing we did was plug in every cartridge we had you know the Japanese ones to see what would happen and like you know it would usually just boot the game boot the game boot the game with the 64DD plugged in then you put in Ocarina of Time the Japanese edition and it goes insert expansion disc oh that's awesome you know and you're like oh my god that's so cool <laughs> right? you're like, too, right? so yeah F-Zero yeah. did too and yeah mm-hmm. so that was Uda Zelda they called it which is yeah. of course the Master Quest yeah, right that was, that was supposed mask, yeah. to come on a disc and okay. that never made it out okay so like you have that. all the uh, the 64DD games then? so I have all the 64DD games you know some were cancelled later like Mario Artist was supposed to have some 
SoundMaker and some other um, installments. They didn't guarantee that, but there's uh, SimCity for the 6040D, which is not very good. But you can then import pictures you took with a capture cartridge into that game, put it on a billboard in the game. Like it, it all connected somehow, yeah. right? right. So, but F Zero 6040D, the the expansion kit, was brilliant. It's great. Okay, we got to play it sometime. All right. So how can you top that? Uh, well, oh, you like, can. I've got I know so you can. Things, but um, I've got. I did get this. This came from uh, Frank Cifaldi, and I grab uh, one of the best versions of it here. Okay. And uh, friend of the show, Frank. Friend of the show, Frank. And uh, he's like the preeminent Nintendo authority these days. Like mm-hmm. he's been. He's he's the guy who wanted to find out the actual ship date of Super Mario Brothers That's and right. found out. There is no uh, definitive date that it was shipped, and it's impossible to figure it out. So he's been on the hunt for that. But along the way, he found the very first Nintendo uh, advertisement, which um, nice. I will show you, actually, so you can see it, and then we'll show everybody else. Yeah. But um, it, it shows, uh, pre- uh, predominantly, it shows Rob, the robot, because they were really trying to sell people on this is not just a game system in order to get like buyers, of course, to... Yeah. Uh, to look into it, but that this word the, entertainment. That was Gail Tilden, who uh, we had worked with in the day. Yeah, she yeah. Uh, worked on a lot of the copy for this with uh, some, uh, with an ad agency, and this is the very first Nintendo ad to go out there. And uh, Frank happened to find out find it, and this is a reproduction of it, of course, okay. um, because he's uh, he's making sure that thing doesn't get even oxygen on it. Um, <laughs> but he had he had I think this is great. He actually reproduced this for Gail because she didn't have this. Oh wow! And so he's down at Comic Con right now, presenting her with this. So she has the very first. Oh, that's she so cool! On. So you and know what magazine it came from at all? Does anyone? No, and you know I don't say? know. If Frank actually even knows. Somebody yeah. had managed to find this cut out of the magazine. So okay. he's he's in process of figuring that out. I think. Got it. Wow. Um, I'm sure. I mean, he might know more than I do on that. But like, it seems like this was as close as we've got so far to mm-hmm. having this, which is great. I mean, it's like Rob coming out of a piece of paper or whatever. I don't know why, but. Um, it's kind of nice to see that. And this was, like, for the New York launch of the NES. Wow. That's so cool. That's full yeah. circle for me, man. I was there. You were I there? Was were born, you? born and raised so in New you, York. Did you so. go to F.A.O. Schwartz where there were... So I suspect my mom did. I don't know the... F- I never bothered to ask the full details of how we got an NES. But I know yeah. that, you know, I was, I was a second grader, I want to say. And that Christmas, it was just under the tree. And it was this huge box. And Rob was prominently displayed on it. And it's, it's that box you see everywhere. And it was just like, holy cow, this is... I'm pretty sure it was from that first run, and I've never bothered to ask her, how did you pull that off? It's amazing because uh-huh. so many people, are, like, that moment was important, obviously, for mm-hmm. many reasons, but uh, so many influential people walked through those doors at the right time to see that stuff. Like Tom Zito, who would eventually do digital pictures, mm-hmm. um, he was in New York at the time, happened to go to the store and see the NES and realized, this is insane, this is going to change everything. Yeah. And he came back to California with one <laughs> to preach the gospel of video games again. Yeah. And he took that thing around everywhere and said, like, we have to get back in the game. This is what we have to do and everything. would lead up to, of course, like, digital pictures and other stuff that he did. But, like, um, so many people walked through there and took this everywhere else that it was, like, people at Atari and everywhere else were like, wait, I thought this is all done. What, what do you mean this yeah. is all over again? And uh, the impact that had and the repercussions it had across the country and around sure. the world was just amazing. I just, so, I just love that it was a media format for at one point where people said, all right, that's over. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. all right, so we all played games. Now we're going back to watching yeah. television. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, the yeah. arcades were going to be the way you were going to play games and it's, forget the home console. It's, yeah. like, it's yeah. like the way people talk about Guitar Hero now. You know, yeah. it's like, well, who, who, who's to say that it won't be back in some form, you know? It's true. Yeah. And like, <laughs> if you have the room for all those instruments. <laughs> uh-huh. But like, who was... Who think that like a robot would be a great thing to bring video games back or sure. like that. But, yeah. Um, I have a bunch of random stuff I'll just pull out. Yeah. Okay. All right. As I have it here. Um, this one I thought was cool because like 
Everybody loves Famicom. We're telling Whoa. these kind of sad stories. It's the Famicom tissue dispenser. <laughs> with the disc system. So this could actually, I think, be compatible with your snot. Um, Where did you get that? You know, this was, like, in 2004, I think, they made these. A very limited run of these. Okay. They also did, like, a pen case. That's a Famicom controller. And, like, this pen. It's, like, bizarre, like... You think, like, if they're going to do a tissue holder, would it be something, like, in fiction with their stories? Or, no, let's just do this. Uh-huh. Let's make it. People who miss their Famicom can have it around. Yeah. But, um, That's amazing. That is so cool. I had no idea that existed. It's crazy. It's so detailed, it, too. And, like, it also yeah. makes me feel kind of weird. And they did it, like, the back of the Famicom box stuff, too, where it's talking about how you insert a card and it tells you how to pull out a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> how to pull out a tissue. Do they have, like, I would love if they have art of, like, Diskun, the little, That's like, amazing. the system mascot. Yeah. Just be like, no, don't pull it yeah. this way. <laughs> And then, uh, do, are you familiar with this one, Perry? Yeah, that the is Otonado face trainer, one. right? Yeah, the DS. face trainer for DS. Okay. I, you know, it's not like it's a rare thing, but it's also an absurd thing where it's like yeah. you, every day you practice getting your smiles mm-hmm. dressed right. Because, you know, yeah. if you're going to go in the office, successful people have yeah. very nice smiles. Yeah, yeah. This was right after uh, the big hit that was brain training, and they were kind of experimenting and everything. It's almost like quality of life kind of existed before a little bit, but now that was just the absurd angle of it. <laughs> that is amazing. All right. Ooh, what so else you this, got? This is the... When I was at Backbone, we were working with Nintendo, and this they, they were experimenting with Virtual Console at the time, and we presented to them the opportunity to do um, the arcade Virtual Console. So they got excited because what we had shown them, and this will run in a, a Wii test kit, um, it had Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, Donkey Kong, two, or Donkey Kong 3, and um, Donkey Kong Jr., and what was so cool about it was you're playing and it's arcade perfect on Wii, but then you could pause it and open up your DS and it'd be like continue on DS would be on the screen when you go to download. Mm-hmm. You click it and exactly where you were in the game would be transferred to the DS so you can keep playing it there and transfer your game back and forth. So if like you're sitting there and it's like, oh, I got to go somewhere. And it's like you transfer to your DS, go to the office and keep playing your game and that sort of thing. So it was really cool. We got really far. That's so dope. And then the only thing that stopped it was there was some sort of, I don't know how best, I can't talk about it publicly, but there's some sort of legal issue with... Um, <laughs> the rights to certain characters in older games that uh, they had not, they didn't realize were not resolved. Okay. And so they mm-hmm. had to do that first. So put it on hold for a little while and then, you know, it kind of took its course and it gotcha. happened. But that was, that was awesome because it was so technically cool and we got a call like at two in the morning one night where with a translator who was sitting right next to Miyamoto saying, does it do this? Does it do that? Can we make it do this? So it was like this awesome kind of moment where it's like, <laughs> oh, we're finally going to get Donkey Kong on a home system at yeah. Arcade Perfect. Yeah, so just to carry it on, um, this, this eventually came out as the worm cam for GBA. Oh, yeah. Remember this thing where you're yeah. supposed to be able to take photos and all this stuff? But if you notice, it has, like, this phone jack. The early version of it was actually pretty amazing. It was a really amazing piece of hardware. And I think, ultimately, cost was what killed a lot of the features. But the phone jack allowed you to have video conferencing on the GBA with your friends. So you'd be able to actually talk to one another and see each other, like, Skype over the GBA. What? It was really cool and wow. crazy. Man. And also, um, there were some demos that um, that were included with this that demonstrate how you could be playing a game that would that could load into this, and you'd be playing this game, and it'd be like Mario, there's like this Mario Kart demo, and you could see the other person's face in the corner. It was really low res and crappy, and it's coming through a phone jack, but you were playing them over a phone jack, like almost like playing online, and you could see each other and have like kind of a uh, primitive voice chat. They eventually like, dumbed it all down and it became worm cam or whatever but yeah this was this was a pretty cool cool thing i remember them that's coming awesome. to our office and showing it and we're like this is awesome wow <laughs> that's really cool man that reminds me of uh so we have in house uh do you know todd todd northcutt 
I, I know. Kids uh, Fire. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because Todd worked on, uh, uh, what was it called again? Wi-Fi Connect. And mm-hmm. he had mentioned how in like early talks they had ideas where like, what if you could have conversations with your friends over the microphone, over the internet? And Todd oh, yeah. was just like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> so, so that's a perfect systems. segue to the next thing because <laughs> even though this doesn't look like much, this is Gauntlet for DS. Uh, Whoa. Uh, one of the last games I worked on for, D- for DS with a talented group of people and we are doing this as a first-party Nintendo game. Nintendo mm-hmm. had gone out and acquired the rights to Gauntlet from Midway. And this is at the time when PSP had just launched, okay. and they were worried about the U.S. and other markets not having enough action games like the PSP had. And I think there, there's this like Untold Legends or something that was on PSP, this game that was very Gauntlet-like. Yeah. And so Nintendo had seen that, and they had talked to Midway then to get the actual like Gauntlet rights because they thought um, because the producer at Nintendo and his partner uh, on the project were old college roommates, and they used to play Gauntlet all the time. So uh-huh. they called us out of the blue, and it was one of these things where. Yeah, like, this would be awesome. Like, Gauntlet, let's talk about it. And they're like, we're going to be out Saturday. And it's like, okay. So we scrambled and got every Gauntlet game we get our hands on, the arcade game, the old NES game, and old home computer games, filled our room up with it. And when they arrived, we played the whole day we played Gauntlet together. And we didn't know really where it was going. And when they left, we're like, did they just want to come over and play Gauntlet? How that's going on? <laughs> and then we had the deal with Nintendo. It was just like, out of the blue, it's like, okay, we're going to proceed. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. But we had to proceed with some uh, like strict criteria. We had to do things on the DS that would be comparable or better than what PSP could do. And one of the things that they really wanted was voice over IP. Um, so Because they had the headset for PSP. And so we developed uh, some crazy technology to allow up to four players to play online with true voice over oh, IP while you're playing. And so you could be yelling at each other, telling each other what to do. It, and it's a really good version of Gauntlet, too. Um, Gauntlet as well. And uh, it also did 3D on both screens because at the time they had not done that. They'd only done it in non-interactive uh, bits because in, I think, Mario Kart and stuff like that, like you could see 3D in the intros and stuff, mm-hmm. but then it put a map on the bottom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really wanting to get 3D on both screens. So we, we managed to figure that out, which was crazy to do. And then we just filled it with just tons and tons of levels and had all these multiplayer modes. You had Capture the Flag, Death Matches, and all this stuff. And it had this Nintendo stamp of approval on it. It was a very Nintendo game. We're working with Nintendo Japan on it directly. And then at one point, they realized the DS is just killing PSP. They don't need to finish these games. Us and 12, I think 12 other developers are one of 12 U.S. developers that they kind of lit this up with. They just killed all the games all at once. Oh, no. It was awful. And uh, But at the same time, Nintendo was amazing because they're like, not only are we killing them, we're going to give you the, these next few milestones. They paid. They were really kind to us on, on the financial okay, side. Okay. And not only that, they walked us into so many publishers to help us sell the game. So we actually got, I think it was IDOS who picked it up next. Mm-hmm. And so we continued working on it there. And then IDOS started to have financial troubles oh, so no. there. But it, it almost went out through IDOS. So IDOS actually sent review copies to magazines. And the, the reviews we got were amazing. We had 80% from Retro Gamer at the time who gave it the cover. And then we had like 80-something, 85 or 87 or something like that in another magazine and everybody was raving about the game and it just never came out so we've mm. managed to find some copies of it and just recently somebody had leaked one online so I'm like oh, I wonder if I still have that cart so I went digging for this uh-huh. and um, it's it's a great game I, I wish people could play it I, you, know, you can probably play it, play it nefariously by other means but um, it had a lot of features in fact the other thing Nintendo wants to do with this uh, was something called Rival Mode which is Street Pass mm-hmm. so we created one of the earliest versions of Street Pass with this when you have it shut and you're walking by and it would collect people that you could decide if they are gauntlet people you want to play against and the, that were going by and you'd like see another gauntlet player who's that's like so keeping cool. their system shut wow. yeah see that's what I'm talking about I mean the, the roads 
the road to where we are now is just paved with so many discontinued projects, yes, right? And exactly. like some of them you'll hear about, some of them you'll never hear about. And like, yeah, you know, it's good to hear from you about, but some of the background on this, which is crazy, right? Like yeah. it, here we're yeah. talking about an, a classic arcade game. That company runs into trouble. Somebody else picks up the rights. Somebody else picks up the rights. Yeah. I mean, it's just nuts. And yeah. that's a lot of reason why a lot of games you like you liked when you were a kid and stuff aren't coming out again today because the rights were so chaotic. Yeah. Uh, and who owns what and everything is just it's just a mess and I work on a lot of collections a lot of like Capcom Midway and all these collections and the hardest thing is to find out who owns the right to the music or who owns the right there because you think about it back in those days they didn't have a lot of money when they were making these games and they would do deals where it's like well if you do the music for us you get the like soundtrack rights or you do this and this and they give away the rights in order to make it cheaper and then in the long run some of these games become huge hits and classics and you're like you can't reproduce them because one party refuses to participate or you take their stuff out and it's not as good or or sometimes you don't find the party I mean, oh, we've yeah. had that too, where we're talking to people from Hudson and saying, yeah. like, "Hey, can you bring that game back?" They're like, "Oh, do we own that? Or do we own that?" <laughs> like, they they weren't sure. Like, yeah. with Evil, for example, everybody loves the old Evil, yep. uh, you know, Super NES game. It's like, well, who owns that now? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. just asking about it will. I've been in situations where I've been contacted by a publisher who wants us to pursue making a remake of a classic game, so we start doing that, and. At the very beginning of production, we find out that, oh, they don't actually own the rights. And mm-hmm. they thought they owned the rights. It's, it's mm-hmm. like Tetris all over again. Mm-hmm. And then you find out also that 10 other people thought they had the rights. And they're making the exact same yeah. game at the moment. And then everybody can't do it. Still happens. Wow. Duke yeah. Nukem. Duke Nukem. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still happens all the time. But but there is a paper trail to sort of find where the who owns what part of the rights or whatnot. Like, it's not just a, a lot of things. Not, dig- a lot. not and always. You know what, the other thing is... The industry now is maturing enough that we're losing people who worked on these games. There's a lot of people who have been passing away recently mm-hmm. that were here at the dawn of video games and also worked on some NES games and mm-hmm. other stuff who are going up, getting up there in age, and they're, they're starting to, to die off. And with them goes the paper trail. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's just a mental trail of who owns what and where these things are. Somewhere out there in some of these kind of storage facilities are things uh, that are getting auctioned off that, own, that have materials in there about ownership. And like what Frank and what I like to do and a lot of other people out there uh, are trying to do is find these things before they're destroyed or lost. And yeah. So because some of these things are just not gonna. And you do this outside of your regular job as well. I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> and it invades your your job as well, according to you know all the Tomb Raider IDOS statues. Right is this now. like a Batman Robin thing where you're gonna pass it on to your daughter eventually, or probably? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it feels like it's like a calling for a lot of people, and like we're out there just trying to do this. We found a game that I can't talk about yet, but we're getting ready to announce that um, was thought I've never even known to be, exist that was being developed at Atari that is a sequel to one of their biggest selling games and uh, it was completed and it's amazing and for its time in 84 I think is when it was being developed it was mind blowing the technological advancement it it had done it it exceeded um, what was expected at the time in 3D and um, it, it looks like a Star Fox quality game for an Atari 800. And Holy cow. It's amazing. They decided not to ship it because of financial issues or whatever. And you're like, oh, these man. kind of things are lost, potentially lost. Yeah. Yeah. And what other masterworks are out there yeah. by people who are incredible? You mentioned uh, being at the Atari dig site. Did you get to take anything home, like a specific cartridge? No, you know, they were, this was like one of the most strict uh, digs <laughs> probably ever because they knew that they what they're pulling out of the ground would be limited because they were going to pull everything out. And also, it was all property. In order to do it, it would have to become property of Alamogordo, the city. Um, but uh, they were kind enough, after they had pulled it out and cataloged everything, they were kind enough to give me a couple games. So I have a Yars Revenge and an E.T. from the from the dig. They're serialized and numbered from the city of Alamogordo, which is awesome. And that whole, like, the stuff they pulled out of there was just mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Holy cow. Wow. 
This was a lot of fun. There was a lot of history in in, in very little time. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's so much more stuff we uh, we could be bringing out and talking about. Well, we should probably do more of these. Yeah, we should do more. Yeah, I'll I'll give you one more. Yeah, yeah, one more. (laughs) Do you really? Uh, Oh, you know what? You jerk! Tell people at home what that is right now. That'd be a copy of Super Mario 64. Not just a copy of 64. Signed by uh, Miyamoto himself. From, in the bottom uh, right corner. November 12th, 1998, it says. So I actually, what you were saying, I is exactly true. I never ask anybody to sign anything. Yeah. And I think this is, I think I have two signed items from my entire career of, mm, you know, almost you two go. decades. And that was just one where it's like, this was the launch party for yeah. Ocarina of Time, I think, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, just like I was so in awe of this guy. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to bring this game with me and have him sign it. And have him sign uh, at the same time a couple of copies of our magazine, too. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we gave out to fans afterwards. Mm-hmm. So around the same time, I had him sign yeah. one of these, too, the next gen. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 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 That I, I agree. Something. Like, I actually I feel uncomfortable asking them to sign stuff, especially yeah. when I'm like. You're interviewing, uh, you're right? Interviewing yeah. stuff. It's just like, yeah. it's just really awkward and stuff. But I have a lot of regrets about that now because there's people who I wish I would have. At a signature from. I remember the first time I tried to get Miyamoto's signature. He was on the. I was with Chris Charlie and he was on the way to the bathroom, and we're like, "Mr. Miyamoto," and everything. And he came by and he was like dancing around because he had to go to the bathroom really bad, but he was super nice. And we're sitting there like just glowing about his work and blah 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 and talking about stuff. And then like it dawned on, I think it was Chris, who was just like, "Well, you better go to the bathroom." <laughs> and he was just like, you know, he nodded and just ran off. As as he could. I'm, like, oh, I'm sitting there and I had my pen in hand. I'm like, oh, I'll just wait. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I asked. Uh, the, I, I always get interesting reactions, but I, I've only done it twice. And the first guy I tried it with was um, Shinji Mikami, oh, and it yeah. was uh, so funny though. I picked a really interesting game because he says no one ever asked him to sign this, but uh, you know, everyone runs up to him and is like, "Oh, sign the first Resident Evil," or mm-hmm. sign Resident Evil Four or sign Vanquish or something I brought out a Resident Evil remake oh, nice. which uh, <laughs> I have personally adored like it's I love amazing. that game and uh-huh. it's an amazing example of a remake and of uh, and it was before it even was in vogue, really. Like mm-hmm. this, pre- this previous console generation, you saw a bunch of games get remade, HD collections, all that oh, stuff. Yeah. But remake was like a top to bottom. Like let's just redo this entire game, add new mechanics, add new things. And at the time, I don't think it was it was just very prominent, like to do something like that. Can I that. guess which game you had him sign? Uh, what for for remake? No, I had um, him sign remake. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Remake. Okay. Oh, I thought remake. you were gonna say like you had that there where like I tried to get him to sign. I brought it with me and I didn't manage to get it completely because I, I didn't encounter him in time mm-hmm. um, was Goof Troop oh uh, wow which I thought was an incredible game on Super Nintendo yeah, yeah. and another connection to that is we were at one point going to port Resident Evil to the Macintosh and we had managed to get source code and we're looking through it and sure enough there was Goof Troop source in Resident Evil <laughs> 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 it was like we were like getting things translated. We're looking at what is this stuff, and it's like, wait, this is this is carryover from Goof Troop. Like they yeah. actually wow. in Resident Evil, the very first PlayStation game. There's some Goof Troop in there. So that's wow. like when people say like humans share forty percent DNA with bananas or something. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that's the exact same thing. You ran the test. It yeah. blows my mind. Like it, it, yeah. I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of source code, and I always like get a kick out of like, wow, that's like looking at the DNA in the source code of like <laughs> mm-hmm. it came from Goof Troop. That's so cool. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. Now he was he was super nice. He signed it and then he said no one has ever asked me to sign that game. Like That's he's awesome. like I will I will not forget this. And I was like I hope he doesn't say that to everyone, but I was like this is really cool. Yeah. And right now he's really thinking about that moment. There you go. As, yeah. we yes. As we speak. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Nintendo Voice Chat. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're at home listening to this episode, by all means, please check out IGN.com. We will have videos going up of all the stuff that we have right here on the table and <laughs> hopefully we did a, a decent job. It is actually on this table right now. There's a lot of money right here. <laughs> um, I hope we did a good enough job 
of explaining and giving these you know items context. Uh, also, right now, just so you're aware, uh, over in San Diego, Comic-Con is in full effect right now. And uh, we've got articles and videos going up on the site. We also have a really cool live stream happening as well with a team of people bringing you really cool interviews, really cool demos from a lot of talented folks in both video games and entertainment. So please make sure that you check that out. Uh, just head over to IGN.com slash Comic-Con, Comic-Con. Uh, SDCC, anything works. Uh, but yeah, you can it see in. it on the homepage. And we'll have you know a live demo of Hyrule Warriors oh, and that nice. kind of stuff on. Yeah. So you can yeah. see Nintendo games too. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. we just had Bayonetta earlier today. Yep. Bayonetta 2 is really awesome. All right, cool. Uh, also, uh, if you are feeling generous and you would like to leave a review, please head on, head on over to iTunes.com or uh, just find our show on iTunes, excuse me, and leave a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Mike, thank you so much for coming by, man. This was super fun uh, to just walk down both memory lane with you and Pear and also see like some really, really cool (laughs) items in history here. That ad, by the way, is amazing. Uh, And we'll have a photo hopefully in the show notes of this episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you again next week. herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.